This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They respond to like spectacle, something huge, big, flashy. That's what we need to do. Let's bring it. Okay, you know. Then let's give them what they want. Let's do what we always do. Dance. Hi, I'm Madison Malone Kircher. And I'm Rachel Hampton. And you're listening to I See Why Am I. In case you missed it. Slate's podcast about internet culture. Today we're going back in time. To a simpler time. All right, Madison, picture this. All right. It's March of 2012. Ooh, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to both of us. Adele set fire to the rain. Rihanna's We Found Love are dominating the charts. Obama's second inauguration just passed. The United States is, once again, as always, in the midst of endless war. Mm, apropos. Scene set. Why are we here? Enter <laughs> Coney 2012. No. Yes. No. That slickly produced 30-minute-long video about Ugandan warlord Joseph Kony that almost instantly went viral. What do you think we should do about it? We should stop him. The criminal here is Kony. Stop him and then solve all the problems. We should stop who? It's obvious that Coney should be stopped. The problem is 99% of the planet doesn't... I feel like here is where I just have to come clean immediately that I was a college student at the time. And I absolutely remember sitting in a study room, not studying, watching this 30-minute video and then posting it on Facebook with some deep caption like, wow, so important. Oh, Madison, same boat, except I was in high school, so I feel like I'm a little bit more excused than you are. It's less embarrassing. (laughs) But we weren't alone. We were joined by everyone from your local neighbor to Kim Kardashian and Oprah, who tweeted out Stop Coney or the appropriate hashtag Coney 2012. Uganda trends on Twitter. Millions of people see this video and basically ask, as we asked, what can I do besides posting this on Facebook? And at the center of this digital empathy hurricane is Invisible Children, a charity started by three white 20-somethings that will be catapulted to viral fame for reasons both good and bad is perhaps the nicest way to put it. In 2021... Coney 2012 is now synonymous with this very particular kind of Western slacktivism. But back then, back then, way back in the olden days, in 2012, the groundswell of conversation this video provoked 
was entirely new. Like you watching this video, me watching this video and feeling like, wow, this is making me feel different than anything on the internet ever has. Wasn't like the anomalous response. That was how millions of us felt watching this. And on today's episode, we're going to take you through the history of invisible children leading up to that viral moment. We're also going to get into the aftermath of Coney 2012 and and talk a little bit about what it says about the uh, digital activism of the 2010s and and what it means for digital activism quite literally today, as in today, today, like the day you are listening to this episode. But first, what is Invisible Children? It's when Harry Potter puts on the cloak. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yes. It's also when Frodo puts on the ring. No, what it really is, is this nonprofit founded by three, I don't think it needs to be said, but we'll say it, three white people. Say it again, say it again, <laughs> oh. Jason Russell, Bobby Bailey, and Laren Poole. The three went to Africa. That is how they describe it. I'm not, I, I am aware that it's a continent. In 2003, to film a documentary on the war in Darfur, as, you know, one does after graduating from film school. No, that is not me making a joke. One of them actually did just graduate from film school. And they describe it as when in search of a story. Ah, uh, yes. I went in search of a job after graduating from school, but <laughs> to each their own. So while searching for a story, a job, Jason Russell witnessed gunmen shooting at a truck in front of him, which is how he learned about Joseph Coney and the Lord's Resistance Army. This leads him to found Invisible Children in 2004. You know, fun fact, there's been some dispute over whether or not uh, he in fact witnessed that shooting or was just told about it. Of course, there's dispute about this. We don't have time to get into that because this is actually a lot of information. And we also have to do a brief digression here to explain Joseph Coney and the LRA. And I, I really mean brief because neither I or Jason Russell are in any way qualified to explain this. Maybe the only thing, one of the few things, let's say, that Coney 2012 gets right is that Joseph Coney is a fucking heinous human being, a warlord, a leader of the Lord's Resistance Army, which operated in Uganda, has operated in Uganda since the 1990s. They have abducted thousands of children over the decades for use as child soldiers, sex slaves. They have mutilated children. They have forced children to kill their own parents. Just evil incarnate. They were actually indicted by the International Criminal Court in 2005 for war crimes. They were accused of brutalizing civilians in northern Uganda through murder, abduction, mutilation, and the burning of property. And in 2005, the LRA was actually forced out of Uganda by the army and went to what was then Sudan and is now South Sudan. And they eventually set up camp there in the border area between the Democratic Republic of Congo, Sudan, and the Central African Republic. This is important to remember. Coney is objectively a terrible human being, importantly not in Uganda by 2005 and 2006. So back to Invisible Children. <laughs> it's the year 2006. <laughs> in 2006, Jason Russell and co. create Invisible Children, The Rough Cut, which is about children soldiers and night commuters, which defined by Amnesty International, are children who would leave their homes every night to go to larger urban areas or camps to escape being abducted. Invisible Children the Rough Cut actually has a pretty small reach compared to what Coney 2012 would eventually do. 
But Invisible Children, the company, expands it by personally going to 10,000 high schools, colleges, and churches to screen the film. This is one of several attempts at making Coney a viral hit. Uh, in 2007, they organize a movement called Displace Me, uh, which is a, a rallying of about 67,000 young people in 15 cities uh, to raise awareness about refugees in Ugandan displacement camps. Pete Wentz takes part in this? What? Like, mm-hmm. like, like Fall Out Boy Pete mm-hmm. Wentz? Yes. Pete Wentz takes part in one of these Displace Me events. I feel like we've skipped my personal favorite uh, Invisible Children attempt at uh, virality prior to the 2012 era, which was a, let's say, a high school musical-esque parody, a music video where they sing about Uganda and motivating people to care about Uganda, notably directed by John M. Chu, like the Crazy Rich Asians' John M. Chu. We're on a mission for Uganda deep inside your mind. Is this ironic? Do we think this is camp? Wrong podcast. Okay, uh, so we already have John Chu and Pete Wentz involved in the story, and we haven't even gotten to Coney 2012. This is important because uh, Invisible Children is incredible at marshalling celebrity activism. It is perhaps the thing they are best at, to the point that when, in 2010, Obama signs the Lord's Resistance Army Disarmament and Northern Uganda Recovery Act, Invisible Children is in the Oval Office when this is signed. They are perhaps one of the best organizations that we've covered so far at just sheer level of awareness and brand building. And this comes into play in a major way, March, 2012, (laughs) the main event. Oh boy. So in March of 2012, Invisible Children releases this slickly produced 30 minute long video detailing Joseph Coney's career with the point of making him a household name in let's just assume the households are in, in the West. We're going to stop them. I made that promise to Jacob, not knowing what it would mean. But now I do. Over the past nine years, I have fought to fulfill it. And the fight has led me here, to this movie you're watching. Because that promise is not just about Jacob or me. It's also about you. And this year, 2012, is the year that we can finally fulfill it. The underlying message is that we need to do we change the something history. about something. Imperialism. <clears throat> Back to this video. So there's a clear focus in this video on the kind of promise of social media. The number one thing they wanted us to do was to share the movie online. The call to action had about three steps overall. One, sign the pledge. Two, get the Coney 2012 bracelet and action kit for only $30. And three, sign up to donate to Invisible Children. Coney 2012 goes viral in a big way. 
perhaps the biggest way anything had ever gone viral. Yeah, up until, up that, until that point. Shout out to The Guardian and the Pew Research Center for compiling these stats. Coney 2012, the video, was the speediest ever to reach 100 million views on YouTube, which it achieved within six days of posting. 58% of adults between 18 and 29 said they had heard of the video in the days following the launch. That is just a comically large number. That is insane. Things that go viral on the internet right now feel like they have a kind of bigger reach, but the things that we describe as viral on the show... I don't think 58% of adults between 18 and 29 would say they've heard of Bama Rush Talk, you know? (laughs) With that growth and that rapidly growing audience comes almost immediate backlash. Critics attacked Russell and the film for bending facts, and there were questions about the group's financial dealings. It glosses over a lot of the complexities, for example, in a war full of messy contradictions. And it makes a villain out of one man in a war full of bad people. There's also been a lot of criticism of the filmmaker himself. I think what is not shown in the video is the other part of this picture, which is a Ugandan military that has also been tremendously abusive in terms of the rights of its Invisible Children, the organization, has also come under fire for not sending enough of the donations it collects to Africa. A couple of the key criticisms are that Kony 2012 made it appear as though Kony had, you know, tens of thousands, 30,000 child soldiers when we all watched that video in March of 2012. When that was how many children he had abducted over the course of decades. And that is, just to be clear, horrifying and terrible, but those details are important. It also didn't make clear that Kony was most likely, probably, definitely no longer in Uganda. Yeah, that's a kind of a key part in terms of the fact that Uganda was trending and uh, Kony was not there. The video also supported the Ugandan government's army, which... Um, also does not have a great human rights record. You know who also doesn't have a great human rights record? The United States military. What was wild about this video is that it was tacitly and kind of explicitly supporting military intervention, specifically U.S. military intervention. And I feel like if there's anything we've learned is that maybe that's not great. At this point, we're pretty well situated in March of 2012. Coney 2012 is, in many ways, an unprecedented success. It has this huge groundswell of support, followed quickly by a huge groundswell of criticism. But what it also has is a call to action. Cover the Night is supposed to take place on April 20th, 2012, a month after the video goes live. Across the world, theoretically, cities are supposed to wake up to streets covered in Stop Coney stickers and graffiti and posters. A kind of physical manifestation of Coney 2012 and Invisible Children's Impact. But does it actually work? You kind of probably know the answer if you lived through 2012, but uh, more on that after the break. not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Okay, we are back with stickers. Because for $30, back in 2012, you could buy this kit, a t-shirt, a button, a bracelet, and posters to paper wherever you lived on 420 (laughs) in service of stopping Coney. Sorry, it was right there. You're telling me those three white dudes did not pick that date on purpose? The cracks in Invisible Children began to show pretty early on. The website kept crashing because it just was not built for the kind of traffic it was receiving. They were running their website off of a Tumblr. And so (laughs) they were getting unfair attention saying that they weren't prepared when their website just kept crashing. Which, this happens all the time when shit goes viral. Most websites are not built for this kind of traffic. The idea of not being prepared for viral fame extends beyond 
Invisible Children's uh, technical limitations. One of its co-founders, Jason Russell, experiences a very public mental breakdown and is detained by the San Diego police after he's seen wandering around in a uh, state of undress. There are rumors about him masturbating. Those are untrue, but they're they're very pervasive at the time. He's hospitalized for several weeks. And to hear him talk about this moment in his life, it sounds miserable. It's just like nonstop media barrage and press and attention negative and positive. I don't think it's unfair to say that going that viral is like viscerally an unhealthy experience, even if you were seeking fame and attention in the first place. Like nothing really can prepare you for uh, I went to bed and I woke up and now we're the biggest thing on the Internet in the history of the Internet. There had never been anything like Coney 2012 before. I mean, we are so familiar now with the concept of milkshake ducking that I think most organizations that are attempting to go viral try to kind of have all their ducks in a row. But in 2012, that just wasn't as much of a thing. So Invisible Children wasn't prepared for questions about their finances, which people found because they're a nonprofit, so they're publicly accessible. So... It's a complicated, nuanced story that gets flattened in the way that the internet does, combined with Jason Russell's mental breakdown, combined with all this attention, combined with the criticisms that we mentioned before the break of the kind of lens that this video is coming from, so that by the time Cover the Night happens, a month and a half after Coney 2012, it's a flop. Facebook events would have, you know, like 50,000 people RSVPing to attend and then like 50 would show up in reality. It was a real, a real moment of realization for the Coney 2012 movement that making him visible, making people aware of Joseph Coney's existence wasn't enough to actually motivate people to do anything about it, to leave their homes. It did motivate some people to go like tag stuff with Coney 2012. I mean, I remember getting to my college campus two years after Coney 2012 and finding a Coney 2012 sticker somewhere on campus and being like, what a fucking (laughs) relic. And it was like less than two years later. So only a year after the Coney 2012 video. So now we're into 2013. Invisible Children posts a new video looking back at all of the success of Coney 2012. It's called What Happened to Coney 2012? And I think, you know, I, I... you can't see me, but I, I made big air quotes around success. I think it's fair to say on some level, this campaign was absolutely successful in the goals they set out. They did make Joseph Coney a household name. That was the plan all along. Maybe the plan should have been a little more nuanced. Awareness doesn't actually save anyone in a concrete way, but that part worked. When our grandkids ask us, hey, what about that Coney and all the abductions and the violence and the murder? Where were you? You can say, I showed up. This video, What Happened to Coney 2012, has all the same markers that Coney 2012 does. It's... Who is picking the music for these? (laughs) They could get me to do anything. It is so emotionally manipulative, compelling. I'm like, yes, Yes. I'm in. I will run a marathon. I will climb Everest. I will solve world hunger. It's wild. Watching these videos back almost a decade later... And knowing everything that they were doing, kind of seeing all the strings they were pulling, I still was just like, this is kind of pulling me in. This is kind of working. Like, they're incredibly effective marketers. 
We love propaganda. This video tells the story of you rising up, me and Rachel and everyone in the world rising up until the government, until literally the president, Obama, just had to get involved. It has all these shots of what appear to be like hordes of people in red Coney t-shirts swarming the National Mall. Like it's like the second coming of the March on Washington. Like the way it's shot is just like we are this massive and sweeping movement and not like... 50 people showed up yeah. to an event yeah. that was supposed to have 50,000 people. Like, it's just such a, like, Instagram versus reality comparison. Oh, um, yes, exactly. It's the, it's the Trump inauguration all over. That was pretty much the last thing about Coney that Invisible Children did. You kind of have to dig to find Coney 2012 on their website, though we should mention they are still an active nonprofit doing work on the ground in Uganda. Jason Russell is no longer with Invisible Children and, uh, is now like a, I don't know, his Twitter bio says he and his uh, partner sold all their stuff and took their kids to see the world, and he writes children's books about how to raise an activist. Honestly, it it, it tracks. Yeah, that about makes sense. Uh, Coney is still at large, though the LRA has significantly diminished to the point that I believe the coalition that was looking for him decided that he was no longer a threat. Which leaves some big questions, right? What was this all for? What did it actually do? I mean, when I look back on it now, I think a lot about how Coney 2012 was meant to make me, a white person, feel better sitting in that classroom at a college that I was very privileged to attend, watching this on a laptop that I was privileged to own, and uh, feel better. Because, you know, if you bought the $30 kit, you were doing something, and that's better than nothing, right? It was like the illusion of absolution. It was textbook white industrial savior complex, uh, a term that actually came out of Coney 2012. It was coined by writer Teju Cole in a now famous Twitter thread, which very brilliantly summarizes what I just stumbled through. Highly recommend looking that up if you haven't read it already or haven't read it in a while. I think it really capitalized on the ways that social media and the internet make so clear the vast disparities between people who live in the West and other places, or even people who live in the West and other people who live in the West. Nothing closes that gap in awareness quite like social media does, but along with how fast that gap is being closed is the overwhelming feeling of what the fuck do I do that won't make this worse. And what is often easiest to do is what is often the least helpful thing to do, a.k.a. slacktivism, a.k.a. putting a Coney 2012 sticker somewhere on your college campus or wearing a T-shirt with a warlord's face on it, thus making him more famous. This really was like slacktivism ground zero in a way that it was culturally, I think, a good turn for how people engage with activism online now. Like in 2012, I'm thinking about my classmates and I are high schoolers who, you know, I think about like a 16 year old now on Instagram, on TikTok, talking about pick a, pick a cause, pick a plight. Like the term action item is one that like a young person would know now to throw around in like a casual, a casual way that in 2012 it was like, well, like, share, repost, that's enough. No, exactly. I think Coney 2012 kind of came at a perfect time. It was the moment that internet advocacy campaigns were actually becoming a thing 
in a way that was recognizable. And I mean, to crash and burn on a large world stage is clearly traumatic, but it taught a generation to be skeptical about these exact sorts of campaigns. It taught nonprofits what not to do. Like, yes, shit like the Ice Bucket Challenge still exists, which is in a way slacktivism, but also raised more than $220 million worth. so much money. Exactly. And ultimately, like, (laughs) what can I do? Money. Give your freaking money. Do your research. But if you can, give your freaking money. No, exactly. And that is what Coney 2012 didn't do in a way. I mean, they asked to donate to Invisible Children, but... I think that so many, and I don't know if they would admit this, but I think so many nonprofits learned from this moment how to have a viral advocacy campaign that didn't end up, in today's modern parlance, canceled. And yeah, people <laughs> still will put like a fucking human rights campaign filter on their say, Facebook right profile photo. deleting my yeah. profile pictures with that little red <laughs> equality sign. I just wanted to get married, okay? I mean... Do what you need to do. I mean, people are still putting BLM in their dating bios as if it really means anything. That doesn't do it for you? Really? That's it, not just like, it, oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's 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 giving black square but to get laid, as someone once said on Twitter. But <laughs> the thing is, in the aftermath of tragedy, of awareness being raised now, in 2021... I feel like, and maybe this is optimistic, but I feel like people largely know now to stay away from organizations led by people like Jason Russell. I think people look at slickly produced things and immediately distrust it. And I think that is the smartest thing to have come out of it. And now when mass action begins to form online, we see people signal boosting things like bail funds or organizations like the Palestinian Children's Relief Fund that has direct ties to people affected instead of like Red Cross. Right. It's funny. We talked earlier about Invisible Children's website being overwhelmed by all of this attention. But now I feel like I personally try to seek out as grassroots organizations as possible. And we we saw that actually over and over in June of 2020 with grassroots organizations or small bail funds, organizations that previously had not had big national spotlight and suddenly found them thrust into one. And these organizations, you know, were being inundated with donations and supplies and volunteers and sort of uh, you would see a number of them saying like, thank you, thank you, thank you. We just need a second to figure out how to handle this volume. And I think people really do. I mean, even most recently with the United States pulling out of Afghanistan and the kind of scenes that we're seeing there, what I have seen most often, and again, this is selection bias, everyone's social media is curated for people that they want to see. But what I have seen is people looking for those who are directly affected and following their lead. And I I can't imagine that something like Coney 2012 would even fly today. It would be released and people would immediately start clowning on it. Yeah, I think to put it very, very bluntly, Coney 2012 exposed a lot of us for being kind of dumb in the moment and it made (laughs) us smarter because whether we figured it out on our own or listened to criticism from people who were always smarter, taught an internet lesson, a really critical internet lesson, to a generation. At a very critical time. I mean, four years after 
2012, Ferguson and the explosion of Black Lives Matter onto the scene came about. And we can get into it for days. But I feel like people look at Kona 2012 and just kind of point to it as everything wrong with digital organizing. And in some ways it is, but that also just does a disservice to the actual work of digital organizing. Digital organizing very rarely stops at awareness. And in fact, generally is like, if you're only aware, you're part of the fucking problem. I guess what we're saying is that Coney 2012 always wanted to be educational. And it was and remains so, although probably not in the way that Jason Russell and co were hoping for. So take what we've learned <laughs> Take the the cringy memories of being a college sophomore and, and thinking the world could be fixed by sharing a stupid video. And then don't do it again. Do something different. Do something better. Make something else visible and then fix it. See you on 420. All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday, so definitely subscribe. It's free. And the best way to never miss an episode, please leave a rating and review an Apple podcast and tell your friends about us. You can, as always, follow us on Twitter at ICYMI underscore pod, which is where you can DM us your suggestions for internet history takes like this one. You can also always drop us a note at ICYMI at slate.com. Who knows? We might have you on the show. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader. Our supervising producer is Derek John. Forrest Wickman and Allegra Frank are our editors. And Gabe Roth is editorial director of audio. See you online. Or not. Lord's Resistance Army Disarmament and Northern Uganda Recovery Act Really Invisible children. Every yeah, the fact that I didn't stutter once was impressive. Well, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.